Amen. Open your Bible to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. It's good to be back at Canaan Baptist Church. And at this stage of life, I'm glad to be here. Earlier this year, I have two sisters. They are physically uh, in their appearance challenged. Uh, some people would say they're just somewhat unattractive. I have another word for it, but I'm not going to say that out loud. And some of you might say, well, that's that's crude. No, they know the truth. They got mirrors, so they, they see it too. My sister actually texted me and asked how I was doing, and I told her how good things were going and and the Lord was blessing here and here and there and blah, blah, blah. And, and then she replied with a text. She said, good, I hope you're enjoying it because no one in our family gets out of their 60s. Well, at that point in time, I was 69 years old. And, uh, and I said, well, if that's the way it's going to be, we'll have a watch night service on June the 15th just to see if I make it. And folks, I want you to know, I'm 70 this morning. First one in the family to get out of their 60s. Hallelujah. So I'm not praying to make it to 80. I'm just going all the way to 90 now. And uh, I just wanted to be a youth director when I surrendered to ministry. I never wanted to deal with adults. Adults are boring. I just wanted to be a youth director. And I've learned that all you boring adults are ex-teenagers. And you have likely the same problems or very similar problems that you did when you were a moronic teenager. When I say 1 Samuel 17, most of you think you've already heard every sermon, every lesson, every thought that there's possibly to get out of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Because it's perhaps the most familiar Bible story in all of the Word of God. And if you're a new Christian and maybe you don't remember numbers associated with stories, this is the story of David and Goliath. And typically, you are no different than the person next to you. Because of that, and because of the fatigue of driving all night, or getting up early on Sunday morning, or just having a, a long week, you will check out during the lesson thinking, there's nothing more for me to get. But there is a lot for all of us to be reminded of. I'm not going to tell you anything new, but sometimes we just need to have it stirred up a little bit. Amen? Uh, we always think a message, sometimes when it's pointed, it's for the other guy. It's generally what I think. I hope my wife is getting this. I hope the ex-members of my church is, are getting this. I hope, uh, well, I know some of your members been here for a month. Last year just made me appreciate Brother Ingram so much the more. And I know certain members over on my left. that need to revisit some of these stories. And so uh, it reminds me of the guy, old man driving down the highway and he, his phone started ringing and he, he didn't want to answer the phone, you know, because you're supposed to keep 
focused on the road. You're not supposed to text. You're really not supposed to take your hands off the way. So he's ignoring it, but he sees on the phone that it's his wife calling. And, oh, brother, now I need it. She's going to tell me how to drive, and she's not even in the car. And so he ignores it, but then she calls again, and it shows up on the screen, and and she, he pushes the button to where it's a speaker. And yes, dear. And she says, honey, I just heard on the news that there's, there's a man driving down the wrong side of the interstate. And she, he said, no, honey, there are hundreds of them. <laughs> and so often we think the message is for everyone else when in fact it's for us. 1 Samuel 17, we find in verse number 1, the introduction to battle. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to, what's the last word there? Battle. The Philistines were the enemy of God's people. They wanted to defeat, to defy, and destroy the people of God. There is great joy in being a Christian. If you're saved today and you're dragging your jaw, oh, it can happen for a day, sometimes a month. But come on. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be filled with joy. Sometimes that joy will just overflood, and it seems like the circumstances around you dissipate into nothingness. It's not, it's not that the circumstances have changed, but the joy of the Lord is greater than the sorrow you and I will ever carry. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the songwriter said, and the things of earth will grow. Isn't that a strange line? You focus on God. You turn your eyes on Jesus. You won't have to try to get over this. They strangely grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. There is great joy in being a Christian. Think of it. We have purpose. We have power. We have promises. We have a place being built for us in heaven at this present moment. But whoever said that Christianity is for sissies was not a Christian. I mean, Christians are called soldiers. Christians are called conquerors. Christians are called warriors. Never sissies. The world is the enemy of God and God's people and the world opposes the philosophy and the doctrines of God. John chapter 10, we often refer to verse 10, that Jesus comes to give us life more abundantly. But let's not forget the first half of the verse, speaking of the devil, the thief, the devil. He comes to kill. He comes to steal. He comes to destroy. I inverted that. He comes first of all to steal and some of you feel pretty good right now because you don't feel like you have anything. Well, I'll just leave the house unlocked for him. We have nothing for him to steal. Take what you want. Really? He wants to steal your mind. And he is 
deceived so many of the 21st century Christians and has addicted them through television, addicted them through the internet. And today God will likely speak to you and to me and will say, man, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. The Lord spoke with me today. And before the night is over, everything that God was starting to do in your life will dissipate because the fowl of the air will come and snatch that seed out of your heart. More often than not, many Christians leave here and go home, turn on TV, get on the internet, and that's where the prince and the power of the air does his work. He steals that seed. What moved you an hour earlier is now gone. It's not that the word of God has lost its power. It's not that it's lost its savor, but the seed has been plucked out of our life and therefore doesn't germinate. And that's why Christians can go week after week after week, hear good messages, say amen, go to the altar, good intentions, mean it from all their heart. And before the day is over, they're exactly like they were when they started. We're in a battle. And he's out to steal your mind. He's out to steal your manners. Boy, we're living in a day today when we talk about Christian America, even unsaved people acted like Christians at one time in our country. They were polite. They were kind. They were courteous. They were honest. Their word was their bond. Today, we can't get Christians to live like that. The devil is out to steal your mind and your manners, your money, your morals. You have a lot more than what you realize. God has given you so much. And the devil's out to steal it. He wants to kill you. He wants to make you motionless. He wants to destroy you. He's in a battle. He hates you. And it's not because Canaan Baptist Church is such a wonderful church. It's not because you're such a wonderful Christian. He hates you because he hates God. And you parents in here, you know whereof I speak. You hurt me, I'll do my best to turn the other cheek. But you hurt one of my kids, and you're going to see a side of me that you wish you hadn't seen. And don't you know the best way the devil can attack God Almighty? Satan is no match for God. He goes after his kids. He's out to steal and kill. We're in a battle. God never promised it would be easy. Just worth it. Even people that look like they're enjoying life and have it all together. I mean, I have a handlebar mustache, so I always appear like I'm smiling. I mean, you can't have this and not make people think that you're smiling. And, of course, my wife does smile a lot. She smiles all the time. She smiles in her sleep, and that bothers me, i got to confess. But just because people are smiling and you would say put on a front, no, I don't think it's putting on a front. It's being kind to you. When you come out and say, Brother Humbert, how are you doing? I don't want to 
tell you and go through the whole laundry list of how my body parts are hurting and falling apart and uh, as the good book says, dissolving. Most of us old people, we know what that's like. We old people, we go up and say, how you doing? And they say, what? How you doing? Oh, yeah, you know. Because it's all dissolving. And you young people, go ahead and laugh at us. We understand that too, because we used to laugh at all the old people. But we're there now, and someday in heaven on live stream, we're going to watch you moaning and groaning. And we're going to say, Lord, could you just let it dissolve faster? There was a guy back, you know him, Larry LaPrize. I mean, just because someone's a happy-go-lucky person doesn't mean everything's going well. Larry LaPrize was one of those kind of guys that everybody liked. He made America laugh. He wrote a song that most of you could probably sing today. You remember that song, The Hokey Pokey? You remember that old gospel hymn that's not in the new hymnals today? We've got modern versions now. <laughs> but I mean, he was a, but you read his biography, he had a horrible life. You talk about sorrow and trouble. Even at his funeral, I mean, preacher's doing the funeral and there it is. His right leg is out of the casket. The funeral director put the right leg in, the left leg came out. Next thing you know, the whole thing was turned, I'm making that up. <laughs> I'm just saying, just because we, we get excited and have a good time in the house of the Lord doesn't mean everything's going well. We're in a battle. And so when you say, well, I thought God, when I got saved, things were going to get better. They are inside. But they're only really going to get worse on the outside because now we have an enemy. Let's get down to verse 10. And the Philistine said, we see an illumination of a sore spot. That Philistine, you know his name, Goliath. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. I don't know if you can imagine this. Here's the two armies. You have the Philistines on one side of the valley. You have the Israelites on the other side of the valley. And they're taunting one another and yelling and screaming at one another. And then they go back to camp and play games. It's a stalemate. It's a cold war. And finally, a, a champion of the Philistines named Goliath, a very tall man, a giant, if you please. He comes out and he defies the armies of God. Hey, send me your best warrior. Let's, let's avoid a lot of needless bloodshed. Let's just come down to the nitty gritty. None of us want to die. I, we just want to rule over you. And you don't want us to rule over you because of some God up there in the fairy land. And you'd rather submit to some invisible God out there. So let's just settle the matter. Send out a warrior. We'll fight. Whoever wins the fight rules. And the Israelites, no recorded scripture that they even prayed about the matter. 
they just froze. Now, all the Philistines were their enemy, but it was one guy, one man, that was a pain to them. He was a source of frustration, polarization, humiliation. And can I remind you this morning, there's a lot of enemy out there trying to take you down. But everyone in this room has a giant taunting you. We see here there's an illumination of a sore spot. All of us have a weak spot. Some of you have two or three. You're thinking, I wish the devil would tempt me to go to the horse races and gamble on the horse races because I could win that victory. Why does he have to keep coming over here? Because it works. You mark it down, the devil knows your greatest weakness. Some of you are weak for gambling, for lust and lying, greed and fame. Some are attracted to porn and homosexuality and adultery and fornication. Some, some are attracted to laziness or money and pleasure and entertainment to the point that that one giant will irritate you, will frustrate you, will polarize you, will humiliate you. You feel like, well, we haven't been defeated by the enemy, but one giant has got you stuck. I could do more for the Lord if it wasn't for that one giant. And the Israelites were actually afraid. May I remind this church this morning, you can't have a heart of faith and a heart of fear at the same time. Fear and faith cannot occupy the same heart at the same time. It's one or the other. They were afraid. They actually believed they were no match for Goliath. They actually believed no one in their ranks could defeat him. They lost their faith. They never prayed Trained soldiers. We're not talking about the youth department here. Trained soldiers. The king himself. Veteran men of war. All had given up hope. How sad to see people you've looked up to for years lose strength. Just a few weeks ago, some of you old timers, you'll remember Tony Bennett. Great voice. Wished I had half of that voice. My daughter was mentioning she saw a picture of 
Harrison Ford now in his 80s. And of course, she still remembers him from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And she said, I just don't like seeing him getting so old. I said, the only way around it is death. Or plastic surgery. <laughs> but then you look like Frankenstein in a few years, so it's not worth that mess either. But it's sadder to see people that were once strong spiritually lose their strength. These are veterans. These are trained soldiers. And yet, they are weak in their faith. Could I remind some of the older saints in this room, amongst whom I am now a member of, I am now 70, hallelujah. Now I know I don't look 70, I look 90. <laughs> But do you realize God can still use us old folks? In fact, just as much as he did when we were 20. Probably more so for many of us. Example, Caleb. 80 years old, going into the promised land. He could have said, hey, I want this little small patch of land over here. Yeah, but there's only 44 people living over there. That's not much of a battle. You're a trained warrior. Yeah, I know, but I've been doing this for over 40 years. Quite frankly, I've had to wait 40 years because of your unbelieving parents. And it's time that you young bucks, you step up and you take on the responsibilities in the church. You do the work. I need to retire a little bit. Just give me, no, no, that wasn't Caleb's attitude. His attitude was, I want that mountain. And those of you that know your Bible, he was pointing at the most fortified city in the land. And he wanted to show the younger generation, as the psalmist said in Psalm 71, Lord, don't forsake me now in my old age. I want to show your power to this younger generation. I want them to see. Yeah, I've been talking about it. I've been telling stories. I, I, old people tend to tell a lot of stories you don't want to hear. But Lord, I want to show them your power. And Caleb said, give me that mountain. Because I'm just as strong as I was 40 years ago. And he wasn't talking about his physical strength. That's not why God was going to use him to go into the land. He had faith to believe. One of two men that had faith. They knew they were like grasshoppers in their sight. But they knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. God help us. What one enemy. One temptation. One weakness in your flesh keeps you from going forward. Well, let's go down to verse 36. We see the induction of a young warrior. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and the uncircumcised Philistine <laughs> shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Just because a man is not as old, just because a man is not as strong, 
Just because a man is not as wise as others may be, if he yields his life to God, he can be greatly used by God. Have you ever read the history of the church? When I say the church, I'm talking about the local New Testament church. Have you ever considered the revivals, yeah, even just here in America, that most revivals caught on fire because of young people? The older people that knew the book and knew better were not the source of revival. Nobody thought David was a match for Goliath. Nobody. The preacher? Samuel didn't think he was. His own dad didn't think he was. Of course, his brothers, you would expect that of three older brothers. The king himself scratched his head on whether or not David could. The enemy? He laughed at him. Can I remind you today, I don't care if you're 10 years old, if you're a teenager, if you're 20 or 30, you're younger than somebody. That's why I like going to Florida. I feel old amongst this crowd because there's a lot more young people here. But when I go to Florida, I'm the kid on the block. They're all old there. 70 to them is like being a teenager. And I'll say, oh, man, I'm, I'm old, I'm retired. How old are you? 70. Used to say 69. They'd say, oh, you're just a kid. Well, no wonder I love Florida. I mean, I'm just a kid there. All those old people, they dote on us like we're just young people. And man, it's amazing how many old people are down there. It's scary, too, because they all have driver's licenses. And if you don't know what I'm speaking of, you ought to take a week's vacation and go to Florida. Drive down I-75. Drive down I-95. You'll know I'm not exaggerating. I thought I, 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 I couldn't believe my eyes. I, I, I told Lori, I said, I didn't know Ford came out with an automated car. I thought Tesla was the only car that could drive by itself. But that, that's a Ford up there. There's no driver up there. And I got up closer and closer and couldn't believe it. And next thing I, I got up closer and I'm focusing in and I see two little hands up on the steering wheel and this slightly blue glow rising. That little old lady couldn't even see over the dashboard and yet she's driving. You have to be a man of prayer to drive through Florida. Teenagers today, they've got the wrong version of the Bible. They like to quote Timothy let no man despise thy youth, but speak up for yourself. Be disrespectful. Disregard authority. Throw off restraints. Tell them where they can take a jump. And that mentality in the world has crept even into Christian homes. God says, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believer. But what's good for a teenager is good for a 20 and a 30 and a 40 and a 70 and an 80 and a 90-year-old. Just because this young man hasn't got the education or the physical strength or maybe the wisdom of others, God calls a young warrior.
And I want to remind you, regardless of where you are in your spiritual development, if you'll sell out to God, God will use you today. Today. What you think is impossible is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You just need to give yourself to God. Verse 45, we see the information of power. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you picked a fight with the wrong guy. You think you're going to fight with me? Oh, you've made a huge mistake. Because I come to you in the name of the Lord. And we're going to settle it out in front of everybody who is the living God. And David, he didn't know Philippians 4.13 yet. But he knew the God of that verse. I can do all things. And by the way, those of you that want to take that verse to apply it, that you can slam dunk, good luck. You're going to break your back. If you take this verse claiming that it's going to help you to be successful in the business world, that's not what this verse is about. I can do all things that God wants me to do. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Power is not in positive thinking. It's not in a good self-image. It's not even in money. Most American Christians think, well, if I could just win the lottery, I know I'll be, uh, I'll be probably disciplined out of the church, but I can go to another church. There'll be a church out there that'll take my tithe, I'm sure. But if I could just win the lottery, man, my life would be so much better. You haven't even read the statistics. Most lotto winners die poor. They've learned the hard way. Read Ecclesiastes. He tells you there's nothing that has value or substance under the sun. It's not a bad thing to work. Knock your socks off but it doesn't fulfill you. Only serving God fulfills us. It's not in heritage. It's not education. Everything is in Christ. That's the source of our power. So many of God's people are irritated and polarized and frustrated, humiliated by a specific sin and they think there's no hope. I've been dealing with this for years, yay, decades. I'll never get past this. And you accept the stalemate. You don't have to. You can have victory. God says so. I didn't. God does. The Bible says resist the devil. He'll flee from you. There is victory if you want it. You'll make a whole lot more progress in your Christian life if you'll just recognize that your repeated sin is because you want to. But I don't want to. I get it. 
The new nature doesn't want to. But let's be honest, folks. Everyone that's saved has two natures. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself living two lives. Because you have an old flesh that still wants to take over. And if you don't crucify it, you're going to lose to it. You can conquer that Goliath. You got to start with this. If you're dealing with a specific sin in your life, you of all people need to saturate yourself in the Word of God. I mean, this is major surgery. This isn't just a cold. This is open heart. Some work needs to be done. You need to get in the book, the sword of the Spirit. Don't waste your time in front of the entertainment of this world, from the indoctrination of the news media of this world. You're letting your faith dissipate of your own volition by believing what's being given to us through the media rather than what God has given us through his word. That's why so many Christians today struggle. I'm not being unkind. I'm not being mean. I'm not being judgmental. I'm trying to be helpful. You want to have victory? You can. David wanted to show God's power, not his. He wanted to show God's ability, not his. So you read the text. It says that David hurried up. He didn't put it off till tomorrow. He ran towards Goliath. As one man said, he slung his sling and sunk his stone in his sorry skull. Now that was a long introduction for a short lesson. Number one, there's a lot of giants in the 21st century. In our text, we're introduced to one. But there's a lot of giants in our 21st century. The Bible says that in the last days, the world will be like the days of Noah. Well, what was that like? Well, there was a lot of sin in the days of Noah. So much so that it made God sick and wished he hadn't made man. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that every imagination of mankind was continually evil. Am I exaggerating to compare that verse with today's world? Genesis chapter 6 verse 4 says there were giants in the land. Giants, plural. The enemy of God is not just one giant, but many giants. May I remind you? The giants of apathy, apostasy, abortion, antagonism, anarchy, adultery. The giants of lust. Lies, laziness, lewdness, law-breaking, the giants of stealing, swearing, shooting, stabbing, the giants of fear, fame, and fortune, and fornication, and fun, the giants of hate, hypocrisy, and whoredom, divorce, drugs, drunkenness, discouragement, depression, defeat. And I ask you today, which one of those irritates you most? Which one of those frustrates you the most? Which one humiliates you and 
polarizes you. If I were a betting man, and I'm not, I'd venture to say that most of us, if we could be honest, we'd say there's more than one. Yeah, there's one spot that seems to hit me hardest, but I'm dealing with attacks on several fronts. We have a lot of giants. So what do we do? Quit? Could I remind you what David said? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason for your life? And if you don't know that, and if you don't have a cause, you'll be tempted like many more Americans are throughout this last couple of years. What's the sense in even staying alive? There is a cause. And it's not so that you can have one more trip on vacation. It's not so that you can have one more night of enjoyment. There's a cause that every one of us that name the name of Christ and know the God of heaven, we want our God to be known to this world. He is alive. We need, number two, we need giant killers. And I'll summarize it. For time's sake, we need giant killers that will reject the curse, recognize the cause, respond to Christ, rejoice the church, reject the curse, I mean by opposing what is wrong. When I say recognize the cause, open our eyes, fight for what's right. We fight for such small stuff. We fight with other believers. We fight with other Baptists. We don't have to agree with everybody, but my word, fight the fight. There's a big enemy out there. We need giant killers that will respond to Christ. Another word for that is obey. The songwriter, oh, beautiful song, might. Stir up the emotions of some old timers. It would do us well to take some of the old hymns and read them out loud rather than sing them. Trust and obey. For, another word for because. For, there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We need giant killers that will rejoice the church. I look at that as overcoming. Don't you know when someone gets saved, whoo, it fires up a crowd. Now, those of you who want to get home and watch a football game, no, you love sports more than you love God. But I mean, if you're in tune with God, you, even if you don't get to lead that soul to Christ, you get pumped when you see souls get saved. When you see 11 people walk forward on a Sunday morning and get saved in church, whoo, that's exciting. You know why? We love to win. We love winning souls. 
I'm not of this generation's mentality, play games to have fun. I play to win. The young mamas in our church say, oh, don't, don't say that. We want our kids to learn to have fun, not to play to win. To the point where they don't even count balls and strikes. And every game ends in a tie. Just shoot me. I play to win. And I don't like losing. I'm trying not to show it as much, but I don't like to lose. You know, it's embarrassing to go bowling. I, I'm not a very good bowler. I quit bowling with Lori because she always beat me. And that wasn't the bad, the worst, but, you know, when people see you trip your wife when she's bowling, <laughs> just so that you can win, you know, that doesn't help my testimony a whole lot. And, but, man, I, I, I can't stand losing. So I tell our young people, all right, play to have fun, but remember Winning is fun. Now you can act more spiritual than I, but you know it and I know it. We all love a victory. And the Bible says our faith, that's the victory. And when we see people get saved, oh my. We'll be glad if this same amount comes back to church tonight. Yeah, we will. But if we came back to church tonight and this room was packed to the point where we had to get out some folding chairs, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There'd be some excitement in the room. You know why? Overcoming the enemy is wonderful. So how do we kill giants? That's a, that's a sermon in and of itself. But it's all summarized with this. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we win over sinners. Not because of our wonderful personalities and the great Bible training that we've received. All that's wonderful if you got it. Remember the blind man when he got his sight and the Pharisees who were well indoctrinated, knew the Bible far better than this man, and they were able to communicate. They were quizzing the man to embarrass him to the point that he finally said, I don't know if he's a god or a devil. You're the theologians. Figure it out. I do know this. Yesterday, I couldn't see your ugly faces. And today, I can. I was blind, but now I see and I may not be able to answer every question you have for me, theologically or in the Word of God, but I can tell you this, God moved into my life. And today, I belong to Him. But that same gospel has the power to help you and me to have victory over sin. That power was given to us when we got saved. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Amen. Galatians 5 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. We can have victory today. We need giant killers. And I pray that something from this very familiar story 
the Holy Spirit was able to stir something up inside you to where you would leave today and not allow the prince and the power of the air and the fowl of the air to pluck out what the Spirit implanted in you today so that you would bring forth fruit in the days, yea, even weeks ahead of us. God help us to be giant killers.